it's a joy for Sally and I to be here with you. Um, I am so encouraged by this congregation. I mean, I love your leadership. You have good and godly leadership, but, but just the way that you guys manifest the gospel is just an encouragement to me. So I want to know that you are one of the bright shining lights in our diocese. Tim had said that in this Advent season, you guys are working through the, the theme of Emmanuel, God with us. And there was a salvation of Emmanuel, the revelation of Emmanuel, and the authority of Emmanuel. And he asked me to speak on the, the joy and the wonder of Emmanuel, of God with us, which actually in this season, I think, is, is a key thing. I mean, this is a season where we feel like we have to create joy, right? It's up to us to manufacture joy, bring the, the perfect family moments together. And, and this is actually a joy that we are to receive. It's not something we're responsible for creating. Now, if you're looking at, um, at this joy of, of God with us, we need to understand that God with us is anchored in the beginning and in what will be in the new creation. In the beginning, in the garden, you have the picture of, of walking with God. There's this place of, of relationship, but not just relationship, a place of incredible ease, but there is nothing to separate us from God. There is no sin or guilt or shame or death. The picture you have in the garden was that we were set to rest in the garden with him. And, and rest, biblically, is this place of, of celebrating, enjoying, and delighting in God and his creation. And, and receiving his celebration, his enjoyment, his delight in us as those who are made in his image. That was the origin. This is what uh, God with us, how it was originally meant to be experienced and known. But it's also where we are heading if we are children of God. So you have, for example, in Revelation 21, it's speaking about the new heaven, the new earth. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What we see is that there is this place of experiencing God with us in the beginning with nothing to hinder it, right? Nothing to hinder our experience and knowing of God with us. And that is actually what we're heading to as well, that we will know in fullness what David writes about in Psalm 16, that, in, that I know joy in your presence, eternal pleasures in your right hand. But the reality is right now we can only know that in part. We can only know in part this joy of God with us because of our rebellion in Genesis 3, where we actually thought God with us was not enough. That there was this temptation, that there was actually something more that we could have or be, that, that God was holding back something, that we could instead, we could be like God. Which if you think about it, is sort of a silly temptation in one sense, because we were as much like God as you could be. We were his image. We were his glory in creation. Yet the temptation worked. And we took and we ate. And instead of being like God, we lost who we were. The image of God that we were created in now becomes corrupted by sin. And now we are those who are afraid and grasping. Now we are marked by shame and hiding. But not only did we lose who we were, we lost our home. 
We lost the way of, of that experience of knowing God with us, knowing experiencing the joy of God with us. We are, it says in, in Genesis 3.23, we are expelled out of Eden. We are kicked out of paradise. And the angels, the cherubim are there with flaming swords to keep us from going back. The message is clear. The door's been shut. There is no way back. You have no access. We become restless wanderers with no way home. Exiles of our own making. And because of our rebellion, we are far from God. And we can't know and experience the joy of God with us. And so much of our life is actually about trying to regain what was lost. Trying to regain that glory that was lost. Trying to, to find home again. But the problem is, is that we strive for all these things. We seek to establish and protect these things apart from God. Who alone can give us these things. And this is where we see the depth of the joy and the wonder of God with us. Because even in our rebellion, he pursues us. It's not that God with us has to do with proximity. It is that he is for us, absolutely. But it's even deeper than that, that he does not give up on us. He is the one who pursues us, that he can make a way that we can know and experience the joy of God being with us again. And you see in the Old Testament, the, the sacrificial system that was set up, it was, it was to give this message that there's actually only one way that you can know the joy of God with you. And that is through the shed blood of a lamb without defect. But even then, the one who could actually go and experience more, most fully that sense of being in God's presence was only the high priest. And he could only do it once a year. Could he go behind the curtain that separated it to the Holy of Holies? And there he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the atonement cover. And on the atonement cover, what did you have over that? Two cherubim. It's that picture reminding us of what we see in Genesis 3 when we are kicked out and the cherubim are guarding the way back in. The message is actually still clear. They're still guarding the way because the blood of sheep and goats is not enough. But it was a picture of what is to come. It is that picture of Jesus and he is the one who actually opens the way that we can experience and know the joy of God with us. Uh, this is why you have, for example, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, since we now have a way into the holy holies through the blood of Jesus, there is a way through the curtain that is his body that we can enter with confidence. Jesus is the one who opens the way. He is the one that makes it that we can experience and know the joy of God with us once again. But this is his work, that we can now enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, and know and experience God with us. So what you have in, in Matthew 27, when Jesus dies, it says the temple of the curtain that separated the holy of holies was separate. It was, it was torn. Right? There's now access. There's a way that we can be in and know the glory of God with us. But it's not torn from the bottom up like we are forcing our way in. It's torn from the top down. This is God's work. He is the one that creates a way for us to have access. And this is the good news. Right? That Jesus has accomplished our salvation. He is the one that removes us from the dominion of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of his son that, that he loves, that we can be those who then know and experience the joy of God with us. 
And knowing this, knowing God with us means that we no longer have to be those who fear. We no longer have to be those who are grasping the things that have marked us from our rebellion in Genesis 3 forward. Why? It's what Paul writes in Romans 8. Because nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you've been made a child of God, that cannot be taken away. It cannot be undone. That his love and his glory, his work in us, it actually is something that, that cannot be undone. It re- depends on the power of Jesus. Now, the reality is if we look at the joy of God with us, God with us actually answers the deepest longings of our heart. But we don't always want it, do we? This is what you find in Psalm 139. It's a beautiful psalm, but if you read it carefully, you can see that actually in the beginning, David is complaining. Verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He is saying that, Lord, you know everything about me, that nothing at all is hidden from you. Then he develops that in the next few verses. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And David is saying, you know every move I make. You know everything I'm going to do, even before I know what I'm going to do it. You, not only do you know what I'm going to do, you know the motivations behind everything I do. Even the motivations I'm not aware of, sort of the, the secret motivations of our heart. You know my motivations for every action before I even do them. You know all the reasons that I am striving for things. And not just know, that sense of know is not just aware of having a knowledge of, it carries with it the sense of evaluate. You know and evaluate everything I do before I even do it. You know and evaluate every motivation I have for every action before I do it. You are evaluating my character, but not just my actions, it's actually my words. You know what I'm going to say before I even know what I'm going to say. You are evaluating what I'm going to say before I even have the opportunity to say it. See, David, he actually is not experiencing joy of knowing that God's with him. Actually, he finds this to be oppressive. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. That hem me in, it, it literally means like I'm besieged on every side. I'm trapped. I can't get out. And that picture of your hand on me, it's not a, it's not a kind picture. That, that hand on me, um, the best way you could say it is like a hand cupping a bug, but more likely the hand smashing the bug, right? That is what David is saying that he is feeling. Right? He, he doesn't find joy in this. He actually finds it to be oppressive. That there is not a joy in God with me. He actually finds it to be oppressive. There's no comfort for him. And the picture in verse 6 is that this knowledge that God has, it's like this high and impenetrable fortress, and I am before it, and I can't get in. That I am helpless before this. I am powerless. David doesn't find joy in this. He's saying, I feel trapped and I feel powerless. Now, part of it certainly is what you find, Jesus says in John chapter 3, right? That we hate the light because it exposes that our deeds are evil. And certainly that, that plays into a piece of it. But David is saying, I feel confined. 
God with me means I feel trapped. I feel confined. I am powerless. I have no control. David says, actually, what I want to do in this situation, I want to flee. I want to get away from your presence. So he says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? This is actually David being extremely frustrated. How do I get away from you? Because you're everywhere. There is no way to escape. Doesn't matter how far I go or how fast I go. You are actually there. I cannot escape you. You see a shift though when you come down to verse 10. It says, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now this is the image, it's the opposite. Instead of feeling besieged, trapped on every side, he's saying, no, you are, you're the one who guides me. Instead of this kind of oppressive, he's saying, no, you are the one who protects me. David moves from this place of being exacerbated, feeling that, that I can't escape. He moves from that to wonder. And the reason is in verses 8 and 9. When he's trying to lay out, how can I get away from you? It doesn't matter how far I go or how fast I go. He says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. Now the sea, you have to understand, we think of beach and vacation. For them, the sea was, was symbolic of chaos and death. Saying, it doesn't matter where I go, to the heights of heaven or to the bottoms of hell, to the, to the far ends of chaos or death or the rising of the sun, you're there. Wait a minute. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you're still with me. If I run to the farthest edge of chaos and death, you are still with me. This is where the, the, the whole psalm begins to shift for David, right? He, he, he comes to this place of understanding uh, this joy that God is with me. There is no place I can go where you will not pursue me, where you are not with me and you are not for me. Verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Saying even when it feels like the darkness is crushing me. Even when it feels like everything is oppressive and dark. That actually it is not dark to you. That your light will dispel the darkness. And actually I know that there is nothing that is in the darkness that can actually harm me. Because you are with me there. See, David, he moves from this place of, of being exasperated. He moves from this place of feeling frustrated into this place of, of worship because he actually understands. He's beginning to see the fullness of the joy of God with us, that he doesn't abandon us, that there is no place so dark that God will not be there to rescue us. And he begins to see that, that if I am a child of God, if I belong to him, then God with me isn't oppressive. It is actually extremely redemptive. In some ways, this is what you find in Hebrews chapter 4, where it writes about the word of God being alive and active, that it, that it penetrates, that it, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Then it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
Nothing is hidden. Everything is laid bare. Uh, The thoughts and actions of our hearts are actually uh, revealed in this uh, by the word of God. Now, if you don't actually have the right context for these words, this can sound pretty terrifying. It can feel oppressive. But we have to understand that the context that this is written in is actually the context of rest for those who are children of God. It's actually understanding that if we have been made children of God, there is a rest that we are called into that is deep and profound. It is actually understanding that if we've been made children of God, the thing that is the most true about us is that we are his beloved children. The thing that is the most true about us is that we are united to him. The thing that is most true about us is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're thinking about that, what is uncovered? What is laid bare? What is the most true about you as a child of God? It is not your sin. It is Jesus's redemption and the righteousness that he gives. What is revealed, what is laid bare is his grace and his love and his redemption. That is deeper than our sin, deeper than our futility, deeper than all of our places of being inadequate. See, there's this progression that comes of knowing God with us, that it's a redemptive, that there is no place that we can go where where his presence isn't with us, redeeming us, saving us. There is no darkness too dark for him, but it progresses from that. You heard it in Zephaniah uh, chapter three, the verses we heard uh, this morning. And and specifically Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is with you. This is the joy of God with you. The mighty warrior who saves. This is defining what his being with us, what it accomplishes. He is the mighty warrior. Nobody can stop what he's doing. Nobody can undo what he has done. This is the glory of God with us. That he's not a powerless God who is with us. Like I feel your pain. No, he is with us and what he does cannot be stopped. Cannot be undone. And what flows from that? The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He quiets you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. See, this is the wonder of God with us, right? It's, it's not just who he is, but it's, it's what, uh, what he is and, and his, his, his delight and his joy over us and what that makes us to be, right? It's, it's the wonder that he doesn't just tolerate us. It actually that he is the one who delights in us, that he is rejoicing over us with singing. I don't know if you know this, but our worship, our rejoicing over God and who he is and what he has done for us is simply a response to his song of joy over us. It's always a response to his song of joy over us. See, this is the wonder of God with us. This is the wonder that he doesn't tolerate us, but he actually rejoices over us with a song. This is why David moves to praise, right? He goes from being exasperated to this place of praise, of recognizing, no, you are the one who is faithful. You are the one that is with me in the darkest of places. And even there, it's not dark to you. You are the one who is for, you are the one who pursues. You are the one who always rescues. And he moves then from this praise of God to what you find in verse 14. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
So he goes from this praise of of the wonder that God is with me. He goes to this place of of seeing the wonder of who he is and what he's done for him. And then he goes to the place that in our eyes, it seems a little bold. The wonder of who you've made me to be. You know what David is saying there? God, when you made me, well done. You did a really good job when you made me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's actually what biblical humility is, right? It's knowing the truth of who God is and knowing the truth of who we are and living out of that truth. If you have been rescued by Jesus, there is something fearful and wonderful about who he's made you to be. There is something glorious about who you are as the beloved child of God. It means that we are no longer defined by sin and shame. We are defined by righteousness. We are defined by glory. The the glory of God with us means that his being with us is fully redemptive. We're not just saved from punishment of our sins. We are that. But there's actually a full restoration of who we are in the image and glory of God as his beloved children. This This is why we can know joy in his presence. This is why we can experience those delights in his right hand. It is knowing the wonder of who he is, what he's done for us, and therefore the wonder of who he has made us to be. No more shame, no more futility, and no more uh, emptiness defining us. This is the the place of of knowing fully God with us means that that we are the ones who are being changed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, we will know this in fullness in the new creation, where there's no more sin or suffering or sorrow or sickness or shame or death. But we're actually meant to know it today fullness then, but we're meant to know and experience it today in our day. Now, I want to be really clear that that knowing the joy of God with us does not erase the pain or the grief that we might bear, but it is not incompatible with pain or grief. In fact, what I would say is, is that the joy that we know from, that we receive from God being with us, it's actually deeper than those things. It is something that gives a different texture to the grief or the sorrow or the suffering that we might be walking through in this time. Now, it gives a different texture, certainly because we know that, that all that grief and sorrow has an expiration date. We know that's going to be gone in the new creation. But there's actually not just that a forward looking, I know this won't last, but I will. There's also the, the truth that it doesn't matter what darkness you're walking through as a child of God. It doesn't matter what grief you're experiencing as a child of God. It doesn't matter what suffering there is that cannot take away the truth that God is with you. It cannot take away who he has made you to be as his beloved child. That cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken away. That there is a joy that can hold us in the midst of that because we know that who he is doesn't change and what he has done for us cannot be taken away. That we can know the joy that we are his beloved children of God even in the midst of this. One of the things that maybe also helps us understand this is that this is not conditional. It's not based on us earning it. This is what he gives his children. This is his gift. It's actually the reason that I included the Matthew 28 passage that says in verse 20, and I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. 
Now, right before that, he has the Great Commission. And sometimes people who are so zealous for us to be about the Great Commission connect those two ways in ways that aren't biblical. He will be with you as long as you're making disciples. That is not what it says, and that is not the gospel. His being with us is not conditional on us. It's not dependent on what we do. It's dependent on Jesus and what he has done. The work of the cross being applied into our lives by God the Holy Spirit. No, he's saying, go and make disciples. And I want you to be encouraged that as you go about this, there's going to be things that are going to be difficult. They're going to be hard. But just know, I am with you all the way to the end. Until the new creation, that what I've begun, I will bring to completion. So whatever you encounter as you make disciples, don't let it rob you of this. Be strengthened, be encouraged that I am the one who is with you. It's not dependent on what we do. It's dependent on him and who he is and what he has done for us. It's this place of knowing that, that there is the joy of God with us, that he is for us, that he pursues us, that he is the one who rejoices over us with the song. And all of our worship, all of our singing of joy is a response to his song of joy over us. So when you're in this place, when it feels like God being with us feels oppressive, there's really one of two reasons that's so. One is that you haven't actually been made a child of God, right? And if that's so, then what you do is it's time for that to end where you, you ask for Jesus to come rescue you, to forgive you of your sins, to make you a beloved child of God. Or that we have forgotten the gospel. That we have forgotten the glory of who he is and what he has done for us. It is so easy to let the voices of the world, the flesh, and the devil obscure his song of joy over us. This is actually one of the reasons we gather. This is one of the reasons that we worship, where we give thanks. This is why we actually, we come to this table to receive. It is, it is actually that place of, of coming into his presence and lifting our shame and our hiding to him in praise and worship. That the people of God singing praises to the word of God and the spirit of God and the word of God will actually retune our ears that we can hear his song of joy over us. That we can begin to experience more fully the wonder that he is with us. So as we come up this aisle to the table today to receive... I just want you to picture that every step that you take is stepping out of hiding, stepping out of shame, stepping out of grasping for what he has already given us. Those of you in the back, you've got a lot more time to do this than you up front. Sorry. <laughs> but we come with our hands open to receive all that he has for us. So this joy of God with us, it is not something that is up to us to create. We receive from his goodness. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you are the God who is with us, that you are for us, that you pursue us, that you have made a way for us to know and experience the joy of God with us when we had rebelled and walked away. Father, the depth of you being with us means that you do not give up on us. 
You do not abandon us. There is no place so dark that you will not come and rescue. Even in the pit of hell, you will be with us. Even when all seems chaos and loss, you are the one who is with us. Father, that you're with us is fully redemptive, fully restoring. That there is a joy of knowing that you are for us, that you are protecting us, that you are guiding us. But also that you being with us means that we are your beloved children. That you delight in us. Father, would you give us ears to hear your song of joy over us this day? that our songs of joy could rise in response. Father, where the world, the flesh, and the devil have obscured our understanding, our hearing of your song of joy, where the world, the flesh, and the devil, and and maybe the pressures of this season and, and the times where loss can be heightened, where it has knocked us off course, where we have actually forgotten who we are as your beloved children, not tolerated in, but delighted in, fearfully and wonderfully made, would you restore us this day that we would come out of grasping and fear and hiding and shame and receive the gift and the wonder and the joy of God with us. Amen.